Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. My name is Walter Hardiman. If we haven't met yet, I am a software developer by trade, but I also serve on staff here at the Grove part-time as the director of worship and communications. Pastor Christian and his family are out in California dropping off their oldest daughter, Elena, and so I'm filling in for him this week. We're excited to have him back next week. I want you to do a little exercise with me real quick. Hopefully everybody enjoys this. I want you to think about a favorite song. It could be your favorite song. It doesn't have to be. Just think about a song, really a song that you like. Okay? Thinking. Take a couple seconds. Have you thought of one? Okay. Why do you like that song? What is it? What makes it a favorite? Is it the lead singer's voice or the lead guitar line or the pounding drums? Maybe it's just a fun song. You like to sing along to it, dance maybe, and you're, you know, you kind of drive, bebopping in your car. <laughs> Whatever it is, you probably like it, right? There's something about it. It makes you happy, right? You with me? Nodding heads. Okay, I see some people nodding heads. Great. All right, we're, we're kind of together on this. So now I want you to set that aside for a second. Now I want you to think of a song that makes you cry every time you hear it. Some of you, there was instant recognition. You already thought of it. Okay, guys, I know this is probably going to be a stretch for some of you. So if you can't think of a song that makes you cry every time you hear it, I'm going to try and make it a little easier. How about a song that you think, hmm, maybe under the right conditions, if it was extra dusty in the room, I might get a little watery-eyed. <laughs> Can you think of that song? Okay. Okay, so, we've got hopefully two... Now, some of you are like, those are the same song. My favorite song is the song that makes me cry every time. That's okay, too. But if they're two different songs, what is the difference between those two? You, you really just like that one song, it makes you happy, right? I'm willing to bet that the song that makes you cry every time you hear it probably makes you feel something other than just happy. That's my guess. So what is that feeling? Is it grief or pain or sadness or yearning? Maybe it's relief. Maybe it's actually joy. Maybe it's really close to happiness, but something else mixed in there too. Whatever that is, I just want you to remember that. And guys, if you're, if you're still trying to think of a song, it's okay. It's all right. Just come back we're going we're gonna to push ahead, but I want you to know, we're going to come back to this idea. We're going to talk a lot about feelings. Guys, don't run out of the room. It's okay. We're not going to talk about just feelings, but this is an important part of what we're going to talk about today, all right? Even if you don't think you have any feelings, I promise you, God created you with feelings, okay? So, we've been in this series called Wisdom Pyramid, and uh, for several weeks now, we're almost to the top. Let's go ahead and review the levels here. At the bottom, we've got the Bible and then the church, and then nature. Last week, Pastor Kyle talked about books, and this week, we're talking about guitars. I mean beauty. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about beauty today. Now, I think you probably, I'd be fine with talking about guitars too, but I think everybody probably has a, a, at least some kind of idea of what the word beauty means, so it's not that I don't think you know, but I think that this concept is really big. And so we're going to take a little bit of time here at the front and just kind of 
try to put some handles on the concept, right? There's an entire wing of philosophy dedicated to questions about beauty. What is beautiful? But also, what do we mean? What does it mean for something to be beautiful, right? So we're not, people have been working on that for centuries. We're not going to solve that today, by the way. So I, what I want us to do is at least try to get our arms around this idea. What do we mean when we talk about beauty as a source of wisdom? So let's dive into this. What is beauty? More importantly, at the beginning, what is beauty not? First off, beauty should not be confused with art. We're definitely going to talk about art today, and there's a lot of art that is beautiful, but not, I don't want you to conflate the two. They're not the same thing. Anything that is truly beautiful certainly can be considered art, but we can't confine beauty, which is this huge topic, into just art. And here's why. A couple of reasons. One, a lot of art is confusing. <laughs> Nod with me if you have seen confusing art. Yes, okay. I, I got my degree. I got a bachelor's degree in art. And uh, there's a lot of art that's confusing. That's like another... We could, I could spend 10 minutes talking about that. There's a lot of art that's confusing. But if, we, if beauty is supposed to be a source of wisdom, wisdom is supposed to be helping us be less confused, right? So... I don't, that's one reason we can't just say beauty and art are the same thing. They're really not. Another reason is we can find beauty in a whole lot of other places besides just music and paintings and drawings and sculptures and photography and things like that, right? You can find beauty in all kinds of things. If you don't believe me, look down at the thing you're sitting on. If the chair that you're sitting on is reasonably well-made, holding you up off the ground and somewhat comfortable, I would say it has beauty. Some of you, I just blew your minds, okay? No, I'm serious. There's, there's some beauty in just the fact that of a chair, a chair that is well-made and doing what it's supposed to do. There's beauty in that. So I'm trying, I'm trying to just draw the lines a little bit broader at the beginning here, okay? Guys, you've probably got... Let's do a quick poll. Guys, how many of you have tools in the garage? It, and in ladies, too. If you have tools that are yours in the garage, raise your hand. If you have tools in the garage, there we go. Look at you. So many tools. Now, raise your hand if there's a tool that when you hold it, you're like, hmm, this tool. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You guys know, I'm saying, and ladies too. There were some ladies that raised their hands. Okay, this is what I'm saying. Even tools, even tools have beauty. And we're going to talk about why a little bit later. But the main thing is I want you to know, we're going to talk about music, we're going to talk about movies, and a lot of other art forms and things like that are, are certainly in this realm. You just don't have to go to a museum or a symphony or a place like that to encounter beauty. So, next. So, it's not just art. It's also not just pleasure. All right? Pleasure is... Pleasures are good. Pleasures are things you enjoy. Okay? So, let's, let's just go through some examples. Like, let's say having fun with your family or a good cup of coffee. Nod with me on the coffee if you like the yes. Okay. Even a, just a cool breeze on a warm day can be, it can be a pleasure, right? I was at a football game Friday night, and it was really hot, and then there was a breeze. It was like, oh, that's relief. That's just refreshing. So there's a lot of good in pleasures. God made us with the capacity to enjoy things. So I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that's not beauty. That's not all beauty is. So beauty is intended to be appreciated. Pleasures are intended to be enjoyed. Those are perfectly good. They're just not the same. So 
let's talk about the difference between enjoyment and appreciation. So we talked about those songs earlier. That first song, the song you really like, you're like, yeah, this is my song. It's my jam. Okay, that's fine. You can enjoy that. That's pleasure. Totally great. And then there's that song that you feel something. You're, you know, you're moved by it. That's the song that, that needs to be appreciated, not just enjoyed. In fact, there are some songs I hear them, I do not enjoy them, but I'm glad I heard them. Okay? So, Guys, if you're still a little feeling a little lost on this whole thing, I'm going to make it really relatable. So think back to the first time you saw this picture. Got the trophy picture. There it is. Think back to that moment. That felt pretty good. If you're a Chiefs fan, you enjoyed that. I promise you. They pull off this comeback. You're yelling. You're high-fiving, right? It's a feeling of excitement and relief and satisfaction all kind of rolled up into one. That is pleasure. That's enjoyment. I don't want to show you this next part, but I kind of have to to make the point. So they win Super Bowl 54. Yes, woo. Then they played in Super Bowl 55, and they did not win. Sorry. (laughs) But do you remember, just go back with me for a moment, do you remember this, this photo? Do you remember this? If you don't remember this, let's zoom out and rotate. Next slide. There it is. You remember this? And then let's go ahead, just go to the next one, get another angle, okay? And then we're just going to run the video and just let that sort of loop. Go ahead. All right. Here's something. Eh, just gonna, we're just going to let that run. Just let that run. I don't really need to say a whole lot more because you, you should, guys, you should already know. If you're a football fan, you're with me. I love football. And watching this, I did not enjoy this. All right? I did not enjoy that. I mean, I guess in a way, a little bit I did. But when you see an athlete, go back to it. Let's run it again. I just want to leave it up there. When you see an athlete at the peak of their game doing something that should not be physically possible, I was impressed. I don't know about you. I I mean, I was almost in awe at this guy. How is he doing this? That's appreciation. Even if you're not a Chiefs fan, you can appreciate this. So, enjoyment. Enjoyment is something you get, like satisfaction or excitement. Appreciation is something you give, like respect or gratitude or even worship. Beauty is more than simply pleasure. I'm not saying you can't enjoy beauty. I'm just saying it's more than that. Okay, we've talked enough about what it's not. Let's talk about what it is. First off, it's a reflection of God's creativity. Beauty reflects God's creativity. It depends completely on His creativity, even for its raw materials, and also for its inspiration. So in the book, Wisdom uh, Pyramid, Brett McCracken marvels at Bach's cello suite. It's a piece of classical music made for the cello. And he says it can only exist because God created trees, whose wood is used to carve a cello, and horses whose hair is used to fashion a bow. So here's a picture of a cello. Yep, there it is. (laughs) Obviously, that's not a cello. But that's pre-cello, right? That's basically raw materials for for a cello. My point is, our, our creativity really does depend on God's creativity. It reflects and depends on His. It also can be found in just about anything made by human hands, and minds, because people just make stuff. People make stuff. We had a maker camp a few months ago. 
We talked about this constantly. We are made to be makers. The very act of using our creative abilities is a sacred act of worship, or, or it should be, anyway. Let's talk about sandcastles. Sandcastles. Here's some. Found these on the internet. These are pretty impressive. Some, I mean, look at the detail on some of those. Mine usually look more like this. Yep, that's mine. <laughs> why do people make sandcastles? Why do, why do people do it? They always wash away. They always get destroyed. They don't last. Why in the world do people make sandcastles? Have you ever thought about this? I mean, it's fun. There's some pleasure in it. But people make sandcastles because people make stuff. We just, we have the capacity to make stuff. God made us in his image, and he's a maker. So when we create, we're imitating him. The sad part is that beauty is also tainted by human sin. Our brokenness and corruptibility is ingrained into the things that we make. And once something is corrupted, meaning us, once we've been corrupted by sin, we can't make something pure. It just doesn't work that way. There is, of course, redemption. Thank God. He can redeem the things that we make. And the more our handiwork highlights, reflects, and glorifies God and the truth found in His Word, the more He redeems and purifies it, the more beautiful it can become. Human creative beauty is always going to have this tug of war. We're just, anything we make, it's going to be in there. There's a tug of war between God's perfect creativity and our sinful creativity. So, we've talked all around this idea. Let's see if we can hone in on a, on a definition. And this is, I think this is the important part because we're, we're going to come back to this a couple times. Here it is. I'm just going give to give you the whole thing. Beauty is an experience communicated through our senses that impacts our emotions and points to something of value. And we're just going to leave that up on the screen for a minute. But I want to talk through, I want to break down the pieces here, okay? So it's sensory. It communicated via senses. That means you see it, you hear it, you taste it, you smell it, you touch it, something like that. It comes in to you. This experience comes through your senses. It's also emotional. There's an emotional component. And what do I mean by that? I mean, it's not just propositional, okay? And if I didn't help you by saying that word, I'll just explain it some more. So propositional, a proposition is basically a statement. I'll give you an example. Jesus is Lord. Three words, simple statement. It's true. It's a, it's a proposition. And I'm looking around. I don't see anyone breaking, out, breaking down in tears. Okay, just checking. Jesus is Lord is a true proposition. Now contrast that to the song we did this just a couple weeks ago, Is He Worthy? This is a song that takes the propositional truth, Jesus is Lord, and it wraps it up in instrumentation, melody, harmony, and lyrics that evoke imagery of every believer, every follower of Jesus throughout all time, coming together in eternity and declaring He is Lord. I'm getting chills just talking about it. This is my song, by the way, from the second question, right? It's a deeply, profoundly emotional song because, partly because of the imagery, which we're going to talk about more. I'm not saying, though, that every emotional experience is beautiful. There are certainly emotional experiences that are traumatic and damaging and not good, things that God would not desire. And that's why this next component is so important. 
Beauty points to something else, something of value, something that matters, something right or true or good. It might be pointing to God himself, like the song I was just talking about, or it might just be pointing to the artist's skill or creativity. And that's good too, but there is certainly a difference. Beauty does this by, usually by pointing, again, by helping us picture things. It points through pictures, through visualizing, through helping us think about things in a different way. We're going to dive more into that uh, later as well. I just wanted to get you thinking about that a little bit. When these things come together, sensory experience, the emotional component, getting your heart involved, and then pointing your mind to something else, something greater, that's beauty. We often talk about it, I mentioned earlier, we talk about being moved. Brett McCracken in the book, The Wisdom Pyramid, he talks about, he calls it a brush with eternity. It's this moment where we come in contact with the highest reality. Okay, one last note before we move on. Am I saying that a song-worshipping God is the same as Patrick Mahomes throwing a pass? I mean, it's all just beauty, right? No, I'm not saying that. Both are certainly sensory experiences. You see or you hear, or you, and you experience it through your senses. Both touch our emotions, probably in different ways. And there's another part that I didn't even mention, and that's the execution. We don't even have time to get into the execution part, but they're both pretty flawless in their execution. The difference between the two, all else being equal, is that one is far more beautiful because it's pointing to something far greater. So, now we kind of have an idea what, what I mean when I say beauty. Now we're left with a question, why do we even need it? So let's go back to the pyramid for a minute. Why do we even need it? It's so small, it's so tiny up there at the top. I mean, couldn't we just skip it? We just not, we don't need it, right? The answer is, yeah, we kind of could just skip it and not do it, but also, no, we probably shouldn't. And here's why. Without beauty, well, God just doesn't want us to leave it out entirely, I think is the point. We're going to go to the Bible to talk about why. Exodus 14, if you haven't ever, if you want to turn there in your Bible, feel free uh, to join me. We're going to start in verse 31, but I want to catch you up. In case you've never read the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, in case you've never seen the Ten Commandments or watched Prince of Egypt, it's okay. I'm just going to catch you up really quick. So, Exodus 14, the Israelites are leaving Egypt after centuries of being enslaved, right? And the Egyptians are now chasing them to go get them and bring them back and enslave them again because they don't want to lose their slaves. Now the Israelites are caught between the Egyptians and the Red Sea. So God parts the Red Sea, splits it in half, and makes dry ground, a path for the Israelites to walk through. They cross to the other side. Egyptians chase them, go into the middle between these two walls of water, and then God drops the water on them and saves the Israelites. So that's where we are. Verse 31. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in Him and in His servant Moses. So here we are. This is a turning point in the history of God's people. Their, their faith is now established because God has done something. What is the first thing they do? Turn the page to chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. 
This is my God and I will praise Him. My Father's God and I will exalt Him. So they sang a song. They sang a song. This was the first thing they did after God saved them. After God acted, their response was an outpouring of faith, a spontaneous song to seeing God work. And it's written down for us, so I think we can assume that they didn't just sing this once or twice and then hang it up. They probably kept coming back to this and rehearsing this. We'll get get into that a little more later. But the point here is that when God acts, beauty helps us respond to Him. Beauty helps us respond to Him. We're going to jump ahead 40 plus years here. Same group of people, more or less. Few have died, unfortunately. We're going to skip over that part, though. They're about to go into the promised land. (laughs) We're in Joshua 3, starting at verse 15. They're about to go in the promised land. First, they have to cross the Jordan River. Here's what it says. Now, the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. But as soon as the priests carrying the ark... They've got it on poles. They're carrying it. As soon as the priests carrying the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water at its edge, and the water flowing downstream stood still, rising up in a mass like this. Verse 17, the priests carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan. And that brings us to chapter 4. We turn the page. What's the first thing they do? After the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua. Choose 12 men from the people, one man for each tribe, and command them. Take 12 stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan where the priests are standing. Carry them with you and set them down where you spend the night. In verse 6, we catch up to Joshua speaking to the people, and he says, In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? You should tell them. The water of the Jordan was cut off in front of the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. When it crossed the Jordan, the Jordan's water was cut off. Therefore, these stones will always be a memorial to the Israelites. So again, God does a miracle. What do they do? What's the first thing they do? Well, the artist in me would say they built a found object sculpture. That's where you just like, you go through like trash piles and you find cool stuff and you put it together in something interesting, right? Okay, my artist in the room, you're with me. If you don't know, that's okay. It was a bad joke anyway. But the point is, they made, a, they made a pile of stones, right? They made a pile of stones. Why did they set up a pile of stones? So they would remember. So they would remember. So they could tell others, especially their children, about what God had done. So this is what we see. When God acts, beauty helps us remember what he's done. Now, you may be thinking, you know, a pile of stones isn't exactly impressive or beautiful. So what does this have to do with it? Well, let me explain. I want to I tie this into you. Uh, to what we talked about earlier. If you read the rest of the passage, it says that they took the stones from the middle of the river. So that means these are river stones. They've been smoothed by the current for many, many years, right? Because there's, there's now space for them to go pick up a rock from the dry ground in the middle. It's a smooth stone. And it says they carried them on their shoulders. So they would have been pretty big. These are not like, you know, it's not a pebble you put in your pocket or like a little, you know, not a baseball-sized stone. These are big, big stones. So a rock pile of smooth stones, pretty large smooth stones, a little ways away from the river is going to stand out a little bit. So that's the first thing. Now let's put, if you're not, if you still don't see it, let's just put ourselves, let's imagine for a moment. Here we are. You're walking along, you're with your son or daughter or a friend, and you see something in the distance. What is that? 
along the road. You keep walking, and you get closer, you're like, oh, okay, I remember what this is. And they say to you, hey, what's this big pile of stones here? Oh, now you have a story to tell. So you tell the story. The pile of stones, they see. The story, they hear. That's the sensory experience. Okay, remember our definition? Sensory experience, pile of rocks, and a story. Then as you're telling the story, you see their eyes get big. And your heart starts to beat faster because you're remembering. You're reliving this. There's an emotional component here for both of you. But more importantly, it's pointing to something, something true. Points to the fact that God is powerful, and He really cares about us. That's the kind of thing that He would want us to remember. So beauty helps us respond to God and remember what He's done. I want to look at one more passage that's going to help us understand why we need beauty and how beauty helps us grow in wisdom. This is uh, Philippians 4.8. Paul is a first century church starter, and he's writing to encourage a church. He's telling them about some things they need to do. Here's some duties, here's some attitudes, here's some stuff you got to do, okay? You got to do these things, like have gratitude and be reasonable and prayerfully trust the Lord. And then he says this in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. So what he's doing here is he's describing a thought habit. He's talking about the things that we should think about. We don't usually use the word dwell anymore. It just kind of means to mull over and consider something, kind of take your time on it, and almost like kind of mentally make this your home, like live there in your mind hover over, dwell on these things, right? That's what he's saying. He's saying we should think deeply and often about this list of things because what we think about has a profound impact, not just on what we do, but on who we are. Now, the question for us, some of you are already, I can see it, you're already wondering, what does that have to do with beauty? Hopefully, I can help connect the dots here. So where is beauty in this passage? I want to spoil it for you and tell you it's not the word lovely. Third line at the end, it's not lovely. That's a word we would normally associate with things that are pretty and beautiful. But this word, the word translated lovely here really just means the thing that drives or pushes me to love someone, to love someone else, right? What, what challenges or motivates or inspires me to act in sacrificial love toward others, okay? That's what that word is. So it's not that, not exactly that. So where is it? Let's go back to our definition of beauty really quick. An experience communicated through our senses that impacts our emotions and ultimately points to something of value. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Beauty points to something of value. The most beautiful things point to the highest things. So what Paul is telling us is these are the highest values. And therefore, the reason this matters for beauty is because beauty at its utmost is going to point to these things. So where's beauty in the passage? Beauty is off to the side going, look at this. Look at the things that are true. Look at this honor. Look at justice. Look at purity. Look at excellence. Look at love. Beauty helps us dwell on the right things by pointing to them. Beauty helps us dwell on the right things. 
by helping us respond to God and remember what He's done and to dwell on the right things, beauty helps us grow in wisdom. It really enhances our growth. So my recommendation, my encouragement to you, is that you treat beauty like a spice. We've been talking about the wisdom pyramid and how it's kind of like model on this idea of the food pyramid, right? Food pyramid is kind of defining what you should take in most of and then the next, next least and next all the way up. Wisdom pyramid, same idea. So we're close to the top of the pyramid, therefore we should be taking in less. Not very much, but definitely we need some. So treat it like a spice and put it on your plate. Go ahead, sprinkle it on. I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to enhance the flavor of life as you grow in wisdom. But, like many things, there are some dangers. We've got to keep these things in mind. So first of all, like any spice, don't overdo it. Right? Have you ever just been, you know, you show, oh no, I put, they, somebody took the lid off and now there's, the whole salt shaker is on my plate. I can't eat this. Right? If it, any kind of spice, if you do too much, it's, it's no good. Right? So whether it's Mustard, I guess barbecue sauce or gravy, maybe okay. But most sauces or spices, you probably don't want to overdo it. Here's, here's the thing. We need to keep it in proportion with the rest of the pyramid, right? So scripture, healthy intake of scripture. We start there. We need to add in community with the church. We need to have, go outside, right? Because beauty is all based on God's creativity anyway. So go outside and see what he made. And then, especially with books, books are super helpful because they're going, to help, they're going to help develop categories so that we can understand and appreciate beauty better. All this adds up to greater skill, greater wisdom in appreciating beauty, so we start there and keep it in proportion. The next danger is that we can, while we can, certainly find beauty in art and culture, there's always a mixture, right? It's that tug-of-war always going on. It's always going to be mixed with other things. It could be a painting or a song or a movie. And there could be something really genuinely good, like a nugget of gold, truth, righteousness. Something is there that's good. But if it's wrapped in garbage, that creates a real problem. Okay? It could be that it's just crass or gross or it could just be that it evokes emotions that are not God-honoring, like greed or lust. Whatever it is, we really need to be careful about the packaging, okay? So the way we deal with that is to consume with wise people. If you're consuming beauty, just do it with wise people. Proverbs 1.5, let a wise person listen and increase learning, and let a discerning person obtain guidance. So you really want to get advice on the kinds of experiences to pursue, especially if you're young or if you're just starting out on this walk with Jesus thing, you're trying to figure out what does this mean, what does this look like? If you're not sure, get some advice on what, what kind of experiences to pursue. And then this is not on your note sheet. Proverbs 13:20 says, The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Experience these things together if you can and then debrief them so go to a movie or a show or whatever it is listen to music talk about read read books join you know if you're going to read a book read a book with somebody else reading it too and then talk about it my wife and i early in our marriage we would go to the to the movies sometimes we would go alone but an older couple would sometimes invite us to go they've been walking with jesus for many years 
And they invited us to come. We're like, okay, cool. So we started going to the movies with them on a pretty regular basis. And we would go and see the movie, and then we would go and eat pizza and talk about it. And they would ask questions, and it got us thinking, and it was really engaging and also fun. And it built, we kind of built a great relationship with them. But it, probably most importantly, it helped begin to shape our perspective and helped give us a way to understand what, what did we see? What did we actually witness when we went and saw this movie? So I highly recommend that. The next danger, very quickly, what we perceive as beauty might be co-opted by an agenda. It might not be, but it might be. Colossians 2.8, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. Here's Paul again, again, talking to the church. This time he is warning them about falling for false teaching. Now, uh, we are just as susceptible as those early Christ followers were, if not more so. Just because, I mean, the enemy still uses the same tactics. The uh, philosophy and empty deceit based on human ideas, right? He's still using the same tactics. But the vehicles he has available are way more slick now. Have you seen some of the movies that are coming out? Who's seen Top Gun Maverick? Yes? Okay. Incredible. Incredible. Movies, music, TV shows, books, all these things can be great. It can be fun, really fantastic experiences. And they can look really awesome. But they can also carry covert messages, whether it's appealing to our base desires or peddling a broken worldview or just, there's just lies in there that have been wrapped up in really nice-looking packaging. So it's kind of the opposite of the other problem. Instead of good stuff and bad packaging, it's bad stuff and good packaging, right? Whatever it is, it's a problem, and we need to beware of poison. When we engage we got to be aware of poison. Have you ever seen a movie like this? Someone, could be a man or a woman, we'll say it's a woman, she has tremendous potential, but she's trapped in a marriage to somebody who's really just holding her back. Then one day she meets someone who sees her potential, and this could be what finally sets her free. She's not looking for it, but she falls into this romantic relationship with this person outside of her marriage. That's just an example. It's the sort of thing that gets us, you know, pulls at our hearts, and it gets us rooting for her to leave everything behind and just follow her dreams, right? Yeah. As we experience that story, we begin to care about the characters and our emotions get involved, and before we know it, we've swallowed something that we never intended to swallow. We've got to be aware of Poison. How do we keep from swallowing the poison? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we keep from swallowing the poison? Well, we need a filter. Okay, what do filters do? An air filter can tell the difference between air and not air, and it lets the air through and keeps the other stuff from going through, right? Water filter, same thing. Let's water through, keeps other stuff out. But we need a filter for our minds. So what is that? What does that look like? It's right there in the verse, Romans 12, 2, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Discernment. Discernment is what lets us test and filter out the poison messages before we take them in, before we swallow them. 
The problem is we can only develop discernment by being on this intentional trying to grow in wisdom thing, right? So again, we go back to it's the pyramid. We need to be engaging with the, the lower levels of the pyramid first before we get to the beauty because we really need some wisdom before we're taken in, before we take in the poison. We don't want to swallow that by mistake. So we need to develop discernment, develop a filter. Finally, I, we really need to talk about noise just for a second. We need to talk about noise. We are simply inundated with noise. Our tendency is to keep our minds constantly occupied. We're always, whether it's a podcast while we're driving or a TV show while we're cooking or scrolling on our phones while the kids are playing, whatever it is, there's always like something going, right? You got something going almost all the time. If you don't, good for you. Great. That's awesome. Make sure you're, you keep doing what you're doing. But if you're, in, if you're like me and you really struggle with this, if you struggle with just sitting quietly and doing one thing and focusing on that one thing or nothing, sometimes just sitting quietly and just thinking with nothing going on, these are things we just do far too little of. Even if we manage to turn off all the devices, it's really hard to turn off the noise in my brain. So, I, again, please understand, I am just as guilty of this of anyone here, if not more so. It's a really different kind of danger than the other dangers. This one is more like we're so obsessed with this diet of distraction that beauty can't even get a foot in the door. We don't, we don't have space for it. Beauty can only be appreciated by a quiet mind. It simply cannot penetrate this armor of noise that we've wrapped ourselves in. So for best results, make space for silence. Make space for silence. Psalm 62, 5. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. The psalmist is telling himself to be quiet because he's expecting God to do something and he doesn't want to miss it. He needs to be quiet so he can hear from the Lord. He doesn't want to miss God doing something. When we encounter beauty in a quiet moment, the Holy Spirit can use that to prompt us to drive our thoughts in a certain direction and get us meditating about something that's really important. But that only happens if we're primed and ready to hear it. That only comes from intentional silence. So make space for silence. In The Wisdom Pyramid, Brett McCracken writes this, When beauty occupies the preeminent place, it can become an idol, a drug-like high that we constantly chase. When beauty has no place in our diet, we miss out on certain textures, depths, and dynamics of truth. But in its right place, beauty can do wonders for our wisdom, helping us know and love God more by tasting, seeing, touching, smelling, and hearing His glories in the diverse harmonies of creation. God created us with the capacity not only to know Him through the beauty of His creation, but to extend it with our own creativity. We can appreciate the Creator's wisdom as it grows through the work of His image bearers, through our fellow humans. If you're just starting out on a journey, exploring what it means to walk with Jesus, you don't need to avoid beauty. You don't need to avoid it. But you do need to be a little bit choosy. Ultimately, your focus should be on the thing that beauty is pointing to, especially the Bible. 
because that is the ultimate source for wisdom, for living. As you learn from God's word and apply it to your life, you'll have greater and greater appreciation for the beauty around you. If you've been walking with the Lord for a while and you've kind of got a lot of beauty worked into your diet, you may want to consider limiting that somewhat in favor of some of the more nutritional wisdom groups lower down. This is the sort of thing I would encourage you, ask the Lord, is there something I need to adjust here? Do I need to do a little less? Do I need to cut it off for a while and kind of do a bit of a fast? I would encourage you. That's the kind of thing that you can pray and ask the Lord to show you. If you've already started solidifying your wisdom diet in the Bible, the church, creation, and books, but you're not intentionally putting beauty on your plate, I want to encourage you, look into some works that will help to refine and develop your appreciation. It's a skill. Appreciation is a skill, so you want to refine it. I've put a, a list, short list, of a few creative works on the back of your listening guide. You can also ask Pastor Christian or me or another leader here at the Grove for more recommendations. And I would encourage you, if you want to engage with those, to do it with someone else and also talk about it with someone who's been walking with the Lord for a while and can help guide you as you engage and appreciate those things. My hope for you is that you will engage with beauty wherever you encounter it, not ignoring it or taking it for granted, and that God will grow you in your appreciation as you respond to him and remember what he's done and dwell on what is right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we glorify you today as the creator, the one who made us, the one who gives us the capacity to create and to appreciate. Lord, we pray for your help that we would be able to engage with beauty, but that we would do it in the proper proportion and that you would keep us from taking in poison. Lord, help us to grow in our wisdom and understanding. Help us develop the categories we need to not be taken captive, but instead to walk in righteousness, to know you, and to love the Lord Jesus as we indulge and engage and appreciate the beauty that you've put into the world and allowed us to create. We ask for your help. Pray that you will be glorified as we continue to sing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day.